What's up, my people? Good morning. Morning, morning. Hey, I am Roy, one of the pastors here at City Light Bennington, and I'm thrilled more than other Sundays, not to devalue the other Sundays, but we're really close to Christmas. I'm talking about really close. And so what happens in our family with anticipation of celebrating Christ's first arrival is we start putting up the lights. As we put up lights, the kids take down the lights. If you look at our Christmas tree right now, half of them are on the upper half. And so what I'm praising God for is that as our kids are getting older, those ornaments that were only on the top half are making their way down. And we all know in this room for the most part, if you've been in church before, that we celebrate Christmas because of the arrival of Christ. Amen? I'm also going to admit the arrival of Christmas music is why your boy also gets excited as well. Okay, if you really think about it, where else, or I should say it this way, what other national holiday has its own genre of music? Have you ever thought of that? Now I know 4th of July has a couple songs here and there, but nothing's like Christian, or sorry, Christmas music. And so when Christmas comes around, I'm one of those freaks that ends up listening to Christmas music before Thanksgiving. I, yeah, I know. I, I could hear the, oh, I'm that guy. So although you look down at me right now because of my choices in life, I do want to share with you some of my favorites. And some of my favorites, I'm not going to lie, some of them are non-Christian all the way to carols and hymns that worship our Savior. I'll share with you my first one, my favorite ever, and I think for the most part we'll all agree with this, is the best secular Christmas song is Mariah Carey's, come on, say it. Do y'all listen to Christmas music? <laughs> All I want for Christmas is you. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. And I'll, I'll say this. I'll admit it. It's Danny, my bride's favorite song to sing to me in Christmas season. I think that's why I feel really built up by the lyrics. But when I actually take time and inventory on looking at the content of words, I move away from the jolly good secular Christian songs and make my way to ones that are more meaningful with the arrival of Christ. One of my favorite Christmas carols is uh, Silent Night. Anyone heard of that one? Okay, okay. Now that may be some of your favorites, but I'm gonna give you my personal favorite, and I think for the most part we'll all agree, just like the last one, Oh Holy Night. Yeah, okay, we can give it, yep, we can all agree on that. The reason why I enjoy Oh Holy Night is because it addresses the one specific human need that is essential, whether you're born again and follow Jesus or whether you don't, there's one essential need that the O Holy Night lyrics address, and that, my friend, is hope. A confident expectation of things to come. Let's look at the lyrics. Check it out with me. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Hopelessness. Before the arrival of Christ, the only thing that humanity had was an error pining, which is a regret of your sin. That's all that we could do. We had no hope of restoration, no hope that we could be sons of daughters again. We couldn't will it in our own effort. There was no way and pathway to be redeemed back to our creator. All we had in humanity before Christ's arrival was just a regret for sin, which most of us carry all the time. God, I feel bad for what I've done, but there is no actually ability to overcome 
and be made right with God. In other words, we were hopeless. Humanity was stuck in hopelessness. But check out the rest of the lyrics. If you're familiar with it, stick with me. Everything changes with the arrival of Christ. Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. When Jesus arrived, he arrived with a thrill of hope. That you and I could put our trust in Christ to be made right with God. Amen? And there's something that happened in humanity ever since his arrival. There was this thrill that we got to experience for the very first time. My testimony is one where I look at these lyrics and I'm like, that is my story. I once was hopeless and by God's grace, I met the Savior and experienced a expectation of things to come, a new heaven, a new earth, a new sonship, a new Holy Spirit that ends up telling me what to do, giving me a desire to be obedient. God has totally made me new. And it's all because of his hope and his arrival. Now, if we're honest, we can see in the lyrics through this that from the time that we got saved, we may have experienced that initial hope, right? A confident expectation of things to come that's carried us through our initial trials. But in honesty, not everyone in this room who's born again continues to hope in Christ and use that as a weapon to persevere in our trials. Some of us right now can empathize with the lyrics up here that says that we were stuck in error pining. Some of us feel stuck in hopeless marriages. Some of us right now feel stuck with disobedient kids. Expectations that we had for our family that haven't been met. Stuck with a terminal illness and diagnosis. Stuck in the rat race. I don't know what type of stuck you're in, but it happens, and the resolution is not to beat yourself up, friends. It's not to give up, but it's rather to go to God for hope again. Amen? So here's the definition of hope that you're going to end up seeing up here on the board. A confident expectation of things to come. That God could change your internal and external realities it's more than just optimism. Optimism is based off of potential. What is the potential of something happening when hope is based off of God's promises? It's not based off of potential. Hope is based off of what God has said. It's this perspective that in your trial, friends, you see and believe in your heart of hearts, although it's difficult, that there's blessing on the other side, that there's blessing and persevering, that there's blessing and enduring. And why do we need hope the most? Is because we all go through trials. We all go through hardships. As sure as I'm breathing, you're breathing right now, there'll be a trial, a hardship in the future. As sure as you're breathing and I'm breathing, you can count on it that you've gone through some stuff in the past. And as sure as you're breathing, there may be people next to you that are currently in a trial. And if we don't watch out, the warning is from Scripture. We can go through trial, born again friend, after trial, after trial. And if we end up putting our hope in anything else during those trials, after trials, after trials, we'll get to a place where we're a former shelf of ourselves. That person that has experienced Christ 
and experience a new life going from dark to light, that'll end up being a one-time thing if we do not continue to press into hope in every trial. So this morning, we're going to look at three perspectives. They're going to build off of one another. And what we need to know, my friend, who's in trial right now and in hardships is what is true of a trial, what's true of God, and lastly, what's to come. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would end up bringing revival in the hearts of those who are weary and burdened this morning. I ask not by eloquence of speech, God, but by the authority of your word and by your spirit that you would administer your grace with truth and that you would give a confident expectation in people's hearts again. God, we believe that you're the hope of the world and you're the hope of every trial that we're in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, friends, let's get into it. In your trial, have a confident expectation that there is a purpose. Look with me in 2 Corinthians. This is good. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. The Apostle Paul is writing this to the Corinthian church, and the Corinthian church are experiencing persecution because they're Christians. And the Apostle Paul ends up saying, your trials, your persecution are small. If the Apostle Paul was living today, he'd have to go through some sensitivity training. Like, that's not okay. But, but, he has some credibility. This dude was battle-tested. You can respect this man's words. He was beaten with rods more than three times. He was shipwrecked, snake-bitten. Have y'all been snake-bitten? I'm sorry. He, like, physically was snake-bitten. And not only that, he was mocked, he was persecuted, and he was stoned more than once. And he's not, he's not calling the Corinthian church's trials small in comparison to his. Actually, he's looking at their trials in view of eternity. Check it out with me. Check it out with me. This is how we can see that our trials are small. He ends up saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them. The trials produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Check it out with me. In your trials, God has purposed for you to actually stack up rewards and treasures in heaven as you continue to persevere in your trial. That's a part of his good design in your hardship and in your trial that you one day will end up being in a totally different reality. In the presence of God in heaven, you'll have a room in the house, and right now in your trials, you can actually purpose rewards to furnish your room. Who doesn't like a comfy room? That's a part of, the, of what God does in turning around trials and saying, listen, you can have an eternal perspective that what you're going through and how you handle it actually echoes into eternity. Friends, have a confident expectation that there is a purpose in your trial. Let's keep reading on. There's more good stuff here. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we now see will be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Paul understood, my friend who is in a trial right now, Paul understood that everything's on a clock. The seasons change. And so do trials. Your trials are temporary and they won't last forever. It may be a hardship that ends by the end of this service. 
It may be the next day. It may be weeks from now. It may be months from now. It may be years from now. But the reality is, friends, that one day it will end. Think of your trials as a tunnel. In a tunnel, it's dark in the middle. But there is a beginning and an end, and it's flooded with life, with light. So as you're continuing to to drive through this tunnel of trial, and though it seems like you can't see the end at the, at the light at the end of the tunnel, know that God has purposed it to eventually end. And here's what matters most. It's not that you go through the tunnel and get to the other end, but it's how your soul goes through it. It's how your soul goes through it. If we're all honest, when we get in hardships and trials, it's easy to end up looking for the exit route. But God wants you. And he has designed for you to get to the end of the tunnel with him. To get to the end of the tunnel, not in shambles, in a former shell of yourself, but to depend on his spirit and to press that much more into deeper intimacy with him. Look with me in Hebrews 12. It says this, no discipline is enjoyable while it is happening, but it's painful. Okay, can we be honest? Don't you just love the scriptures and how honest they are? The writer ends up writing, no discipline is enjoyable. No one likes getting spanked. No one likes um, (laughs) having trials heaped upon them even though they didn't even incur them. There was nothing that you did, some of us. The reality is, is there are so many trials in life. Whether you're being disciplined because the Father wants you to learn a lesson or whether you're just incurring trial upon trial just because we're in a broken and fractured world. At the end of the day, God wants you, God admits Hey, it's going to be painful. But check it out in the rest of the verse. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained by it. God has allowed seeds of trials and hardship to be thrown into your life. And friends, if you do not give up, they will grow a harvest of peace. A harvest of peace that you could look back on in trials in the future and say, God has shown up in my life. God has my best interest at heart. Although it's painful, friends, don't give up. Don't waste a trial. Don't go to media. Don't go to relationships outside of your marriage. Don't go to whatever you go to with alcohol abuse or drug abuse to appease our despair. Press into God. Think of it as a muscle. The trials are like exercise. A muscle grows when there's stress on it, right? The more that we lift, the more it grows. And God's intended some of these stressors in life and in our lives to grow us. But that won't happen, friends, unless we cling to the hope of God that there is a purpose in it for us. God's shaping and forming us into his image. And praise God that we stack up rewards in heaven in our trial. And during it, we also have blessings here on earth. In your trial, have a confident expectation that there is a purpose. And if you think that you're alone in your trial, my friend, there's good news. That the God of the universe is well acquainted with your grief. 24 hours leading up to Jesus' death, he felt the weight of his inevitable suffering. He felt the weight of the, of the scorn of man of the thorns that he would have to adorn on his head, of the flogging that he would have to experience where they would whip him, pull back, and rip the flesh from his back. 
He knew that his best of friends would betray him. And do you know what he ends up doing? The humanity of God empathizes with our weakness. He goes straight to the Father, and we see God model what it looks like to pray in trial. Matthew 26 says, and this is Jesus speaking here, my soul is crushed with great grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Friends, if you've ever suffered to the point of despair where you wanted to die, if you've ever gone to God the Father to ask for relief that he would take this trial and burden from you, you are in well good company because Christ did himself. We have a God who sacrificed on the cross out of his weakness and through his despair. And there's gonna be moments in our trials where all the hopes and promises that we can cling to will be so meaningful but unless we understand the heart of God and how he experienced suffering the way that we've experienced, there won't actually be a heart change in our trial. Praise God. We can respect a God who's asking us to persevere. Why? Because he persevered himself. Amen? So in your trial, have a confident expectation that God empathizes in our sufferings, and that's not all. There's a time coming where all trials will end up ceasing. Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Born again, friend, thank God that this is the worst that your life is going to get. That the trials that you experience right now, whether they be terminal illness or whether they just be disobedient kids, it is the worst that you're gonna experience because there is a hope and a promise that there's an eternal destination that you're going to where there'll be no more crying, no more weeping, no more suffering because God has made all things new. There's something beautiful about hanging out with senior saints, senior citizens who love Jesus, and also those who are terminally ill. My first Christian friend, Richard, 87 years old, he was in hospice last January, and we went to go visit him. And as we were sitting down, as you guys know, in hospice, it's imminent death for him. He's just waiting on when he's going to transition into the next life. And what was really sweet for me and my bride to experience was there was no sadness. This dude was so battle-tested. He had sought the spirit for strength in so many trials and seen God make good on his promises 
that by the time he was 87, about to transition into the next life, all he had was joy and hope. He had a confident expectation of things to come. He knew that he was going to get his ultimate healing, whenever that would be. It ended up being a couple days later. And my friends, there's something to be said about hanging around those who are really close to death. I know there are young people who would read this passage, and even me myself, it doesn't make that much sense when you're going through the struggles of the day-to-day to say, you know what, there won't be any more suffering. It's really hard to get yourself out of that mindset, right? That's such an eternal perspective. So I'm speaking to my friends primarily who are seniors in the room and those who are terminally ill to continue to speak the promises of God over your life, that there will be no more suffering after your last breath because of what Christ has purchased for you. That in the lows, in the depressing moments, in the times of pain, you actually have a hope of an eternal destination that was bought for you. That you could press into a loving God who is compassionate and who suffered the same sufferings as you did. Let that be your fight song as you sing it through the night. There's no need to fear. Not that you give up the battle. The battle belongs to the Lord's. And your participation in it matters. But let that be your rallying cry through the pain. What a confident expectation that we have, born again friends. That there is a hope and purpose in our trials. That trials inevitably will end. That there is a relief to come and that God empathizes with our weaknesses. For the Christian, those are all promises that we cling to. But for my friends who don't know Jesus, specifically who have not allowed Jesus to run your life. Those are blood-bought promises you have no hope in, just as I didn't have hope in. Before I surrendered my life to Christ, the words that people would tell me were all promises for Christians of things to come, of hopeful expectations. And friends, I've experienced the love of Christ and a new hope, the confident expectation that there is more To the point where I want to say, and I'm pleading with you up here, during this Christmas season, ask yourself, where else can you go but to your creator? Where else can you go for answers about design of life, about purpose? Where else can you go for healing of your inner soul? Where else can you go for your marriage reconciliation? It's only by the forgiveness of Christ that we can be forgiven. And so all of these hopes that we have as Christians, they all apply to Christians. And I think the worst one to actually think about, friend, is that there'll be no relief for those who are not Christian. There'll be no more relief for you after your last dying breath. This, this sorry life most of the time is the best that it's going to get for anyone who hasn't let Jesus run their life. But if you repent, the good news, friends, If you would turn from your sins and you would trust God for the forgiveness of your sins and allow him to run your life, all of these hopeful promises are applied to you. In spades, they're applied to you. I have a rewiring of my brain and heart that's changed the trajectory of my life because of the hope I experienced when I was in college. I went through depression And I went through uh, 
depression to the point where thoughts of suicide came up. And it wasn't until I got acquainted with the love of Christ that I experienced hope again. And you born-again people, you know what it's like, right? We talked about it in the beginning. Hope is great, but it's all up to how you apply it in each and every trial. Your intimacy with Christ will end up being an indicator of how hopeful you are in each and every trial. But we all know that we operate in our flesh pretty often. And it's in those trials we end up getting caught up with hopelessness. And so recently, I know I'm a pastor here, but about three months ago, I was in a bout of depression. And I was preaching sermons through it. You guys wouldn't have even known. And I remember having a suicidal thought come to my brain, which, praise God, I didn't entertain. That was about a couple months ago. I was so ashamed of it. I thought to myself, how could this be? I'm a pastor. I'm born again. I have a bride who loves me. I have awesome kids. Why is this happening? And so I ended up confessing it to a friend, and then I brought it out into the light. And I remember my friend telling me, go and be off with God and don't return until you have hope again. And so I went off, and the next morning I ended up driving the country streets of Bennington, north of Bennington, and it was very appropriate, the weather outside. The weather was rainy, coming down, and that's what it felt like in my soul. And as I'm rolling over to, um, gosh, Waterloo, I didn't know where I was going. I was just praying and asking God. What ended up happening was I ended up coming across where our offices are now. And at the time, we were looking for offices a couple months ago. So I stopped at Thrive. I ended up walking in, and what I, I ended up talking with him. And I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, everything is working out perfectly for this major transition that we have to make for a staff. And I felt useless in God's hands before that moment. I ended up walking out filled with hope that God could and would use me again. And that was a small thing, I know, but it was the first step for me to start believing in a confident expectation of things to come, that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And friends, something flipped in me, but it didn't actually, I didn't actually get back to the place I was prior to the depression until weeks later. And that's just honesty. Some of us can't expect right now, if the Holy Spirit hasn't given you a confident expectation that your trial is going to flip on its head in an instant, then don't put pressure on God that way. Go with what he's telling you. There are so many subjective things that God prompts us to believe in and hope in that is so God-honoring. So for me, after I went to Thrive, I knew I'm not out of the woods yet, but boy, I know it's coming soon. And I cl I, that's what I heard in my thought life, and I said, God, I'm clinging to that promise. There'll be times in trials where you go through different difficulties, friends, and they will be the subjective voice of God in your thought life or audibly or when you open up the scriptures and he talks to you. That's no small thing. That is so significant that we would cling to the voice of God when we hear him. Amen? It's so tailor-made. So tailor-made. So friends who are going through trials, who are weary and burdened, I want to give you the word of God to finish our time together. It's Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. 
I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Day and night I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, Where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Some of us can look back, just like verse 4, and say, I walked among the crowd of worshipers. I've been the one in church raising my hand. I've been the one who's waking up at 6 a.m. to do quiet times. Why am I so discouraged right now? Why is my heart so sad? But look at the hope that's giving through the psalmist. I will put my hope in God. Nowhere else. And look at the confidence he writes with. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. My friend, what the Spirit wants to tell to you, tell to you through me, through this text, is that you'll be back. Just as the psalmist had a hopeful expectation that he would be back, you'll be back. And if you continue to fight the good fight, though you be weary, if you continue to lean on God's Spirit for strength, you won't just be back, friends, you'll be stronger. You'll be stronger. Today, I have the pleasure of reminding us of what Christ did through communion. And as we go through our time of communion, I'm just asking of you guys that you guys would be aware of what things that you can offer up to God in praise and in worship, what people you need to pray for whose hopes need to be increased. And it's because of what Christ has done that we can actually go to the Father straight through him. So this is Matthew 26, verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it. For this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. For those of you who are serving communion, please make your way to the stations. So once I end up praying us out, guys... An encouragement is just to remember what Christ has done for you as you would partake of his body. It's in remembrance for his body being broken on the cross for you in pursuit of you to give you hope. That as his blood was shed on that cross, it was in pursuit of you for you to give you hope. A confident expectation of things to come. So this is a meal for those who have let Jesus run your life. And for those who haven't, we just want to encourage you to consider what it would look like to surrender all of your hopes into Christ for the very first time. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the confident expectation 
that you've given each born-again person in here. As we would sing more songs of worship and take communion, would we meditate and purposely think on how you sacrificed for us? God, stir up hope in us again, and would you give that much more praise and worship? Amen.